clap. Did you clap? I actually said clap. Why did you do it so far after the time it was supposed to be? No, I did it right on it. It was perfect. <laughs> you did not. I sure did. I promise you. What I'm hearing do on another. the phone, it, I did it exactly with you. Oh, really? Yeah. So say it, let's say it together. Ready? Okay, one, three, three, two, two one, one, clap, clap. clap. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. This is going to be great. Episode number two? No, I think we got to call this episode one because the last one was episode zero because we weren't sure if anyone would like it or care. Okay. But some people liked it and cared. I think so, yeah. People did like it, which is awesome. Chris Jones liked it. Chris Jones texted me. (laughs) That's awesome. You know what we need, dude? We need a hashtag. Um, Because that's how people do stuff now. Oh. Um, Hashtag Aaron and Ivan. That's a good hashtag. That's pretty good. Let's do it. So the the hashtag is going to be Aaron. Hashtag, sorry, Aaron and Ivan. So that way, you know, like all the people on Twitter can hashtag that and make it awesome or something. Like a trending topic. Today we're going to talk about Eastman School of Music, our alma mater. Something that we didn't really touch on a ton on the last episode because we just messed up and didn't talk about it. Yeah, and which is, well, we just said that we met there, but that's like, I mean, I think pretty much everything related to us is also related to Eastman. Like, I mean, we both met our wives at Eastman. We both learned how to play music at Eastman. Basically, everything was from Eastman. Yeah, that's right. So today, we're just going to kind of reminisce about Eastman. So we should just start with some Eastman stories, right? Definitely. I mean, I think the best Eastman story happened the day that I drove to Eastman to like move in. And uh, (laughs) I should have, I think, I feel like I should have taken this as some kind of sign, but for whatever reason I didn't. Uh, Do you know this story? Uh, I think so, but you should definitely tell it. This is great. (laughs) So... Anybody who knows my mother knows that she's very excited about things. And for me to go to college, I'm the oldest kid in my family, so it was like a big deal for my parents. My dad went to Eastman, and my mom went to Nazareth, which is right nearby. And so they both really have like fond memories of Eastman. So they were really psyched. And we just lived in Buffalo, so we drove an hour and a half. We got up that morning, loaded up the station wagon. And because of the amount of stuff that I had to take, including a drum set... I had to sit in between my parents, like in the front seat. And my dad is like equal to me in size. And, you know, it was like the littlest, tiny little seat. I don't even think it was really a seat. But the three of us are jammed up in the front of the station wagon. So for 90 minutes, we're like, you know, just trying to hang on and get there. And like probably five minutes out, we're about to get off the exit to get to Eastman. And my mom spills her coffee all over the crotch of my pants, <laughs> just like the entire, the entire cuff, just everywhere. Um, and it's like not still hot, but it was like all my clothes were packed in a bag. And I, try, you know, I think I had on like some khakis, like I was trying to look nice, like it's college. So, you know, you might want to like not wear the, your worst jeans. And I just remember, like, there was no other option. I was like, what am I going to do? So I walked into the front door of the dorms, 
And I was like, all right, so, like, I can officially become the guy who spilled coffee all over his pants, like, before he even got there. And that I think that really set the tone. Like, that's a good metaphor for my entire time at Eastman. Like, that guy who somehow there was coffee on my pants, and uh, it still turned out to be okay. And, uh, you know, I went right to my room and changed immediately. But it's just, like, couldn't ask for a better beginning, I think. You know, for me, one of the things that I remember um, the most, one of the first memories I have is after my music theory placement exam to get placed in the right music theory class. I remember me and my okay. me and my roommate, Steve Omelski, uh, mm-hmm. shout out to Steve-O, wonderful trombone player. Um, yeah, mine was Joe Steele, also a trombone player. Yes, Joe is awesome as well. Um, so I remember taking the exam and then me and Steve meeting up after to find out the results. You know, they post the results sure. on like a big board for everyone to see, right? So we're looking at the results and next to both of our names, it says Music Theory 101I. And we were like, what's that? That must be like, maybe we did really good <laughs> on this test. That's awesome. Um, there was some girl next to us who was like, uh, that means intensive. We were like, well, what does that mean? That means... Still sounds good, right? right? Still and sounds pretty like, good. That means you need intense catching up on all of this music theory stuff <laughs> so that you can actually go to the school. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like my first thing. I had, a, I had a long way to go. I had a lot of catching up to do, man, especially in music theory. That's like I was I was saying thinking earlier when we were kind of brainstorming for this um, a couple of years into the program being uh, being in the jazz department uh, a big deal was when Bill Dobbins who is the uh, he's now the director of the Eastman Jazz Ensemble but he came back like there was, he was at Eastman for a long time and then there was a long period of time when he lived in Germany and he came back and so when he came back um, you know no one really knew what to expect. And I don't think he did either. And so I was in, I think, the first class that he taught, you know, of that year of jazz tune writing. Like, before you write a big band chart, you just have to write, like, some songs, you know, some some jazz kind of standard-ish tunes. And I'll never forget, like, sitting in that class. Now, here's me. Like, I played drums, so I definitely didn't know anything about harmony at all at that point. And... He would just sit down at the piano, and there was a couple other drummers, like Ian Fry was in that <laughs> sure. class, um, you know, some other guys who just, we were all just trying to play our best, but we didn't really have any kind of knowledge like he had. And so he would sit <laughs> at the piano, and he'd just play, like, just a random chord, like, no context, just here's six or seven notes, you know, and he'd go, okay, what is that? And everybody would just sit there and be like, dude, we have, like, no possible clue what this is. And then after a long silence, like a long period of time where he would just wait and wait, somebody would be like, you know, um, A flat, major, you know, just some guess. And then he would immediately be like, uh, no. And then he would play it again. Like not, not any chance of us figuring this out at any point. Just keep playing it. 
And then I remember the quote was at one point, he was like, do they still do auditions for this school? Because how did any of you get in here? And we didn't know what to think, you know, so we just all felt terrible about it. And then we would write tunes. And when we write the tunes, he would, uh, on the day that they were due, he would just sit at the piano and he would play everybody's tune forever. They wouldn't say whose it was, but like you knew whose it was based on who was like turning red in that moment. And, I, and he was just so vicious about it. Like he would play a tune, uh, like two measures, and then just be like, that isn't good. And turn it over and start the next tune, you know? And like the person would just be like devastated. And I remember really, really clearly one time Ian Fry, who was a great spirited guy. He, uh, and he, he lives, lives in here Austin in Austin, too, right? Yeah, man. Yeah. And he's always, he always had this like just go for it kind of spirit. So he wrote this tune. It was supposed to be inspired... Inspired by the music of Wayne Shorter, and that ha- there are a lot of different time periods of Wayne Shorter. So <laughs> Ian wrote like a rock tune. Um, and I remember Dobbins like turning it over, and then you go, okay, well this one at the top says rock quarter note equals one hundred and. I don't remember studying any tunes that were rock during this class. Didn't even play a note and just turn it over. Didn't even try, you know. That's <laughs> and everybody hilarious. was just everybody was just crushed, you know. And I, and I think I think now the people that are there now tell me that Bill's mellowed out a little bit, but um, just like that was, I think, one of the moments where I was like, "Am I supposed to be at this place, or am I?" Am I okay here? But everybody was equally struggling. Like if you got a B in that, if you got a B in that class, that was like you were amazing, you know. Right. Well, I was uh, right so. down the hall in remedial theory, bro. So we were mm-hmm. all in the same boat, you know. Somebody must have been in the advanced version of these classes, <laughs> right. though. They don't play drums, I guess. Yeah. If you're out there, you should leave a comment for sure. Yeah. If anybody was in any advanced level theory classes at Eastman, that'd be interesting to know. Right. They do exist. I know. Yeah, I know you're right. I never once, and I'm a composer. I, I definitely wasn't in the advanced classes. Um, speaking yeah. of crushing, Aaron. Yes. Uh, we were both, along with being performance majors, music education majors, Absolutely. which means that we had to learn a little bit about all of the different instruments. Um, and that means that I had to play bass. And Oh, as did I. Right. And the thing about me and bass is it's huge compared to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't really know how to carry it or, like, move it around, but I had to because I had to practice it. So I remember walking down the stairs... I think of the annex. I don't even remember exactly. No, no, no. I got this. You got let, it. Let me, yeah, we got to back it up because this was the it was the final exam for bass class. <laughs> <laughs> That's an important piece of this puzzle. You're totally right. I forgot about that part. And and I remember we had to take the take the exam at the same time. And I remember that I that day had had gone to a Bills game. And at that point in my life, uh, going to a Bills game also involved consuming uh, various beverages. <laughs> and so I remember coming back from the Bills game and like barely even remembering that I had to take this bass test <laughs> and, and certainly not having any intention of passing this bass <laughs> test somehow. 
And um, you and I went and got our bases, and we were walking. You know where we were going was in the Eastman Theater, those classrooms behind the theater. We were going way up to, like, one of those top weird back That's rooms That's right, up in there. the tiny elevators, right? Right. Yes. And then, we, and then you had to go upstairs because the elevator didn't go high enough. Right. And that's where you had your wonderful moment. Yeah, that you well, pick I'm up carrying with. the base, I guess, up the stairs, or yeah, that mm-hmm, had to have been up mm-hmm. the stairs. And it like slips from my grip <laughs> and it goes tumbling down the stairs and then like tumbling down the other corridor of the stairs. And this is right before my final. You're about to take I'm the about exam. to take my base test. So then I, I, I pick it up and I kind of like, you know, I kind of quickly check it out and it looks fine to me but then yeah. i get to the final and i take the bass out and i start to play it and it sounds like garbage it sounds terrible <laughs> and i already sounded bad at bass um right stand-up bass you know it's so hard so right so my our teacher john fetter right mm-hmm. comes up to look at the bass and he's like did you drop this and i'm like no <laughs> And then I, you know, of course I, I confess because I, I, right. And I told, yeah, man, I just dropped it and we, you know, figured it out and it was fine, but I'll never forget that, man. At that particular moment, I was frightened. Um, oh, it was awesome. Yeah, it was, it was hilarious. And another great one from that class, remember, is uh, that my future and now current wife was in that class with us, Sarah. Right. And we had to do, like, uh, team teaching. So, like, one of us would learn the low strings and the other one would learn the high strings. And then we were supposed to teach each other. And she'll never let me forget that I taught her to tune the bass with the wrong notes. (laughs) So, like... (laughs) Like I didn't pay attention and I didn't, I didn't remember which notes the bass was supposed to tune to. And so it it goes in fourths, but I told her that it goes in fifths. And so she was trying, and she's like, you know, I didn't really put forth a ton of effort all the time, but she was like determined to always get a really great grade. And she's, you 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 gave her the cello tuning, bro. Right. Exactly. I didn't know. I thought it was the same thing, you know? And so she will never let me forget that I was basically the complete reason why she couldn't play the bass. And she was like practicing and just couldn't figure it out. It dro- drove her nuts, you know. And then, but I had just told her the wrong, That's the so wrong funny, information. Man. But all the other ones were in fifth, so that was really kind of unfair. Right. audition your audition day was that the coffee in your pants day or was that your first day? no I, I somehow i had already made it uh into eastman by the time i spilled coffee in my pants but and i think i talked about my audition day on the last episode a little bit because of when we talked about mr back um yes. and i was like super unprepared for the audition right no no that um, was a great so and how I you played that, sonata for timpani by john beck not realizing right. that you were playing <laughs> wondering for if he john knew that beck. piece right yes yeah yes. that's good um but I remember some other great stuff. I, I, I think you should talk about probably my, my and your both favorite story about Jonas Toms, right? 
Jonas Toms, or Tomes, um, is a horn player who went to Eastman with us. And he was just one of the funniest dudes. He was awesome, a wonderful musician, but just a great sense of humor. And yeah. it's an audition weekend at Eastman. I think it's probably our senior year, or maybe my junior year and your senior year, Aaron. Yeah, that sounds right. And um, so Jonas dresses up like in a suit and tie, and he, um, he takes an old French horn and puts it in an old case, like probably not a playable horn. I don't know where he got it. Um, but he is walking around with this case, and he looks like an auditionee, you know? And I think he's even talking with people who are auditioning, like, oh, what time is your audition? My audition is right. at this time, whatever, you know? And he starts to walk up the stairs in the main hall. And he, and, and everybody can see you walking kind of, up the stairs. Yes, everybody can see you, all the way from the entrance of the school until the stairs at the other end of the school. You can see Jonas up at the top. And he turns around and he opens up his French horn case and the horn <laughs> and the case go tumbling all the way down the stairs. And then and like all the pieces, right? Like he pieces, had it all taken it's apart. completely shattered. <laughs> and, and then Jonas starts to scream, oh no, oh no, my horn. He's like, I have an audition in five minutes. And he runs down the stairs and like kind of sc- like, like gets all the pieces together, is running off screaming. And like all of the other auditionees and parents are like, oh my God, what's going on? Like it was it's so funny. It was hilarious, man. Because everybody's like so stressed out you know like for most people it's like one of the top most nervous days of their lives up to that point and then here's this guy that just totally <laughs> freaks out and oh, loses man, his it instrument was, it was hilarious bro I'll, yeah, never, like, I'll never forget that Looking back, I think we probably should have been a little nicer to people who were auditioning. Like, I remember as a jazz major, I always loved audition days because we got to play on people's auditions. Like, if you were auditioning on saxophone, that we would be part of the house rhythm section, the students. Mm -hmm. And we used to do stuff just like gamesmanship to the kids that came in so bad. Like, I would do weird stuff like a kid would be like, uh, you know, the teachers would be looking down at their paper and a kid would come over to hand me the music and I would just like lift up my shirt while I, with the other hand while I would take the music and just be like, great, thank you, you know, and my chest would be out and, and you know, people just wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> or there were definitely times where people would play like play like a measure in the wrong key just to freak people out and stuff. And it's uh, it was always a point of pride, I think, but but probably we should have just been nicer about it. But it was always fun to see, like, you know, who, how could you, like, try to vibe these people? And I don't know. Right. That was sort of, the, sort of the rite of passage, if you could handle that. That's funny. You know, that, and I remember, like, I remember, like, Dave Chisholm auditioning, and I had a feeling I was going to really like Dave Chisholm. He turned out to be one of both of our, like, good pals. Um, and I remember him giving me the music and starting to try to explain what to do. And I, I was like, no, it's good. I got it. Like, we're cool. You know, like we knew what it was going to be and we knew it would be good. So uh, there was the opposite of that too. But um, the jazz guys always had a lot of fun 
on the audition. Yeah, I think days. you guys had like extra fun. Yeah, you know, we would set up like we would set up a band in the elevator, right? Remember that? Right. During audition week. Like like live elevator music. And they still do it actually. They still to this That's day. Awesome. I, I see photos of it every once in a while. But yeah, so, like we, kids are going up to their audition and the band's playing, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. That's and it great. would be like it would be like a really, you know, like we would talk about it like don't make eye contact, you know, like don't pretend like it's just what you do all day long you know like a buckingham <laughs> palace guard or something and that was always really fun and people would try to start to talk and then like they would just get totally brushed off that was great Or do you remember? Do you remember this one on an audition day? And like Linda Muse was taking people on a tour of the dorms. Oh, and, I and, was there. And oh yeah, I was there too. And the Eastman dorms, for those of you who don't know, are um, it's like a circle at the bottom, and inside of the circle there's a courtyard, and there's a basketball net out there, and some benches, and. Uh, the whole inside is windows. So as you walk around to the dining center and the different entrances to the houses, you can see into the courtyard. And so on an audition day, right around lunchtime, they said, you know, come over to the dorms and you can have lunch at the dorms. And I don't remember all the people involved, but for some reason I remember now a really important conductor in the military, right? <laughs> and I, I, I'm sure you can help me remember some of the yeah, other people. Like, I probably... Right. Yeah. Some of those guys. Um, and they would they would have the challenge. They had like, like a lot like, of low brass guys. Right. Yeah. Like 10 <clears throat> dudes lined up in the courtyard uh, to see who could fast most fast drink a gallon of milk. Yes. It was a milk chugging contest. <laughs> yeah. And you can't drink a gallon of milk. You every time puke. And so <laughs> their kids are walking around and they're like, here's a typical day at Eastman. And not just the kids, their parents. And their too. parents, right? And then there's 10 guys chugging milk. And I seem to recall, like, not enough clothing for the weather, whatever it was. Like, no jackets if it was really cold or something. And I think those guys got in pretty big trouble, right? Yes. I remember Linda Muse running out into the <laughs> courtyard and, like, just yelling telling everyone to stop and then there's like people filming like the milk chugging like there's a huge crowd around the milk chugging contest right right, right. that was great uh it was a lot of fun and, and that stuff was always like you know some of my favorite things were just like the the behavior at college i don't think really ever got any higher than like maybe good high school behavior at best <laughs> so i have a couple a quick stories really quick and this one is about a teacher that i mm-hmm. took some lessons with and I won't say this teacher's name. It's not one okay. of my regular teachers. It's not Mr. Beck or, or Mike Burrett. Are you gonna Some, say your name? Are you gonna say your name a lot in this story? <laughs> yes. Okay, good. <laughs> so this is a hilarious story. I'm having a lesson with this teacher on um, and um, you know, Aaron, and I just did it. <laughs> I say people's names when I talk to them. It's like part of how I I don't know, talk with people. It's part, it's yeah. part of how I communicate. Right. So anyway, um, I'm having a lesson, and I say, let's just call this person Bob, okay? Sounds great. So I say, hey, Bob, um, I have a question about this whatever, you know. And he stops the lesson. He's like, look, we need to talk. <laughs> like, okay? I'm like, I'm scared. He's like, 
you know, I know you're from Texas. And I don't know what the what the colloquials are are in Texas. But here in New York, he's like, you don't say people's names all the time. <laughs> and I'm so frightened. He's like, I don't know if you realize you're doing that. But you're, you say my name all of the time. And then without thinking, I'm like, I'm so sorry, Bob. And That's he looks so at me and we just, we keep having our lesson. And the rest of those, the rest of those lessons, I tried my best not to say his name. So so many great memories too in terms of like meaningful personal experiences you know um you know listen i know you want to talk about good things but i got to tell this one more good story oh go 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 right so because you're a part of the story so don hunsberger retires mark scatterday comes in as the new wind ensemble conductor and mark scatterday is teaching our conducting class for music ed (laughs) and so it, like, was fine. I think it was good. I don't remember, like, a lot of the details. But I remember at the end of the semester, we had to write, an arrange- like, a transcription of something. <clears throat> and I remember... Uh, do you remember what you did? <gasps> I did a Mompo piano piece. Do you remember what you wrote? No. I don't either. But we all had to play instruments. And we had to make, like, a reading orchestra of uh, on one of those days. And I remember him saying, like, you know... Somehow I thought he said you shouldn't play your primary instrument, and like you you know if you're if you have a good secondary instrument or something you should play it. So I don't know why, but I remember really clearly that it was like me, you, Raskoff, Matt Raskoff, and George Clements were all in the class together, and I and we were sitting like in that order. So I was first, and he's like, Aaron, what instrument are you gonna play? And I was like, How about French horn? And then you three guys were like, percussion, percussion, percussion. <laughs> and I was like, damn it. And I got totally shafted and had to play French horn. So then the day comes and still, here's me thinking like, I'm pretty good on French horn. I didn't even know all the notes, man. I remember I had to tear a fingering chart out of my jump right in teacher's manual, right? Because it wasn't like you could just go online and find one at that point. And brought the fingering chart to class thinking, like, I'll be fine. I can just real quick look up whatever. And then people are, give, you know, like, what? I have no chance on this, right? And so I remember, and I'm the only horn player. And, of course, like, the first two things that we read had, like, big horn solos at the beginning. And so... So we got through two pieces, and then Scatterday walks back, like, real quietly... He taps me on the shoulder. He goes, hey, bud, why don't you just put that away for now? (laughs) (laughs) So that was it. And, like, I had no idea. Like, I thought it was fine, you know, and I just had to sit there the rest of the time. Wait, you didn't go back with the percussion section? No, 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 because, like, for some reason I I had to, I, like, was ashamed. I just had to stay there. Yeah. You lost all (laughs) confidence. 
Yeah, like I didn't think that I should get up and go back. And like I remember there was like I was like vibed. You guys were like kind of vibing me about it. Like fine, go play French horn. And so I couldn't admit that I got kicked off. So I think I just sat there and like pretended for a while. But wow, I mean, and and I think that you know that was probably one of the formative memories for Scatterday of me. So now, like, since then, I've done really cool stuff. Like, I did a Jen Beller concerto for drum set with the wind ensemble, and he conducted. And I'm sure, like, somewhere in the recess of his, of his mind, he's still thinking of that French horn playing moment <laughs> as, like, that's who I really am, you know? So now I think would probably be a more appropriate time to go on to like the good things about what happened. Okay. So what do you what do you remember? Because I think it's safe to say that we both really loved our time at Eastman and we both really look at it as, you know, like one of the best, if not the best places you can be for for what kind of stuff we did. So like what do you remember that you loved about? Well, there's one I mean, there's a lot of memories I have. One in particular that's really important to me is I got to play under Frederick Fennell before he passed away. Mm. Um, he's like the founder of the Eastman Wind Ensemble. And, you know, at that point in his life, he was very close to the end, you know? Right. Um, and I remember him walking out on stage, and I think Dr. Scatterday even kind of helped him up onto the podium. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he walked very slow, and he was very old at that point. Um, and we were playing a Sousa march, you know, and he raises his, his baton, his hand and starts the piece and we just start going and he's not really conducting but he's kind of cueing things you know so like when the flutes would trill he'd kind of raise his hand up and wiggle his Mm -hmm. fingers around the bass drum would hit he would kind of slowly point at the bass drum bass Mm -hmm. drum would play boom but honestly man it was you know one of the most memorable experiences because the band sounded so tight and together I think we were so inspired by getting to play under Fennell. Was that like the 75th anniversary or something? I, I think so, Aaron. I, I'm not... Wasn't it some kind of big event, right? Because I, I remember the theater was sold out. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just awesome, man. I mean, for him to, to play under him and to see him in his condition, but still loving what he was doing. I mean, he was smiling the whole time. Right. Um, it was just really special. So I'll never forget that moment. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I have a really similar story. When, when I was in um, the master's program, we had a great concert with uh, Bob Brookmeyer, who, uh, you know, I think sure. still stands as one of the greatest jazz composers uh, for a large ensemble that there ever has been. And um, it was going to be his 80th birthday. And the band was great. Like the the year before this happened, so my first year, I was in New Jazz with Dave Ravello, and we won the Downbeat Award for uh, the best collegiate jazz ensemble in in the country. And so we were like really, really, you know, happening, and we were proud of that fact, and we we had a little bit of swagger about it. So we knew we were good. And so they said, well, Bob Brookmeyer's going to turn 80, and Bob Brookmeyer like no one plans on doing anything for him. You know, like they're not going to have a big concert in New York or anything. So Dave Ravello, who had a great close relationship with Bob, said, look, we're going to do something for Bob. And if no one comes to it, that's fine. But if they do, fantastic, you know. And so we did like a retrospective of his music. We uh, played stuff from the 50s all the way up through brand new stuff. And 
people commissioned arra- he commissioned Dave arrangements of Happy Birthday for Bob. So like mm-hmm. some really great composers, Bill Holman, um, John Hollenbeck wrote one, um, Ryan Truesdell, who has been nominated since uh, for this Gil Evans uh, Grammy Award project that he did. Um, some really great guys wrote arrangements and then they came and some of them and conducted the arrangements and this concert was amazing and then bob came and similar to your finale story like bob was old you know he was turning 80 mm-hmm. and if you know anything about his life like he wasn't really very good to his body for a lot of his life had a lot of struggles with different kinds of things like that so he walks into the rehearsal and everybody was just like, we couldn't wait. You know, we knew we were ready with the music and he walks into the rehearsal and he, I remember he was wearing sweatpants, like with the elastic around the ankles <laughs> and white New Balance sneakers, you know, like he was totally just whatever he wanted to do was what he was going to do. And he walked in and his wife was with him. He walked straight to the seat where he's going to conduct. I think he said maybe high. And then, okay, dance for life. Like, that was the first tune we were going to play. And, man, I was scared. Like, I knew I was going to sound good, but I wasn't sure how good, you know, as we learned from the last couple stories. Right. And we played dance for life, and it was cool. And he didn't say a whole lot, you know, at first. And then the next thing we were going to do is this tune called Seesaw. And Seesaw has, like, a big, it's like a drum set solo the whole time with the band interjecting. So I was even more nervous. And we played through the whole thing. It's probably like eight minutes. And I felt like I sounded good. But I didn't um, look up because I was too afraid. Like, what if he was, you know, like laughing or, you know, looked really pissed or whatever. So I just like stared at the drums for the entire time. (laughs) And the, the tune ended. And then I, you know, I obviously had to look up. And so he looks up, looks at me and, uh, He's kind of known for not being mean, but like really saying what he thinks, you know, being very frank. Uh And there were some stories floating around, you know, in in anticipation of him coming that like, you know, if you did something wrong, he was going to let you know about it. So we were a little bit, to say, a little bit frightened. We were a lot frightened. And so I look at him and he just stared at me like he didn't say anything. And it felt like a minute, you know, I'm sure it was like a couple seconds, but it just felt like an eternity. He's looking at me. And he goes, did you practice that? And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I practiced it a ton. I said, I said, yeah, Bob, I practiced it a lot. And I thought that maybe he was going to say, like, that it sucked, you know. <laughs> and he was like, he goes, well, that didn't hurt. <laughs> and I was like, I still didn't know whether it was good or bad, you know. And then, and then he went on to say some more things. He was really complimentary. And I, I really felt... I remember feeling that that was an important moment because I felt really validated. You know, when I was in school as a jazz drummer, a lot of times I felt like second-guessing myself. You know, it's such a such a subjective thing, whether, you know, as an improviser, I didn't a lot of always have time where people agreed with what I was doing or a lot of teachers sort of encouraged me to do um, less, you know, something different than what I thought was right artistically. So for him to give me some validation, I really remember mm-hmm. loving that. And uh, also just being really scared. And the concert was amazing. And people came from some of the jazz magazines and covered it. And the whole thing was a great experience. And then I emailed him afterwards and just to say, like, hey, thank you so much. You know, um, I think he had made a comment, like, a, like jokingly, that he wished I would come and live at his house and just play drums for him every day. 
So, so wow. I was like, hey, man, like, you know, I would love to come to your house, even though I'm sure you were just kidding. Um, and I, but I wanted to do some lessons or something with him. And if I had that opportunity and he said, yeah, you know, I still have the email printed out at my house and it says, you know, thanks so much. You, you played beautifully. Um, let's see what the calendar says. Uh, we'd, I'd love to get together sometime. And then it wasn't long after that, that he passed away too. Um, but I just wow. remember like, I'll never forget that interaction. And I think that's one of the coolest things about Eastman is that it, it it afforded us those opportunities. Like where else would I get to play for Bob Brookmeyer? I mean, maybe some of the other jazz colleges, but I was so lucky to be a part of that. And there were, there were several more stories like that. You know, they all kind of end up the same though. Like people that came in that were really (laughs) supportive and you know, that just a really artful kind of take on things. It helped, helped me kind of feel good about what I was doing as a player. Um, so that was really awesome. I'm, I'll never forget that. Totally, man. That's yeah. amazing story. That's so cool. Any other things that stand out? I mean, there's a ton, man. Well, for example, my band, uh, Break of Reality, started yeah. at Eastman. And uh, one of our first concerts actually got put to a halt because it was too loud. Nice. <laughs> yeah. It was in Kilbourne Hall, and we had our, our big cello amps out, and I was playing my loud rock drum set. Uh-huh. And I think there was stuff going on in Eastman Theater, and the sound was bleeding through. <laughs> so, like, one of the things that I think, I mean, probably the thing that's the best about go- having gone to Eastman is just the people that we know now because of it, you know? I mean, I don't think, mm-hmm. it's not it's not to do, like, name dropping, but, like, just the people, like, our friends that we were in school with now and being, like, 10 years removed, which is crazy to say... But from when our undergrad stuff ended, like to look at all the things that everybody's doing and everybody's doing such different but such amazing things, you know, I just feel lucky to have been a part of all of that. But like, yeah, when, when, I totally agree, man. You know, and I think that's a nice thing. Like we talked about last week with John Beck yeah. and having his teaching style that really allowed people to do different things. But I think Eastman is kind of like that in general, you sure. know, um, I think it allows people to kind of explore their own interests mm-hmm. and uh, create their own projects, you know? Like, yeah. even all the bands that came out of Eastman, like oh, yeah. Alarmal Sound and Jack Quartet and... Right. Uh, you, know, you know, just, it's it's crazy and, and awesome. Yeah. Well, and, like, look at when we do the May and PA thing. Yeah, know? our day of percussion. All our friends that are just, you know, everybody's somewhere else. Connors is doing his thing and Bobby and George and... Like, everybody's kind of got their own path, but everybody's still got this common connection. And, like, what you were saying, and I guess what kind of inspired this topic for today, the feedback, like, from Facebook and from texts and stuff of people that we were in school with, you know, it's just, like, some of those people I haven't heard from maybe since we were there, you know? Right. And that's so cool that, that like, 10 years later, and you know, thankfully we have, like, the internet and everything to help keep in touch, but it's so cool to just... Like, hey, okay, this person noticed our podcast and remembered something fondly about us. And then you can, you know, we can click on them and check out what they're up to. And it's so fascinating. And I don't know because I don't know any other reality. But I would bet that, like, if you went to school for, like, um, you know, marketing or something, it might not be as interesting to follow what your what your friends are doing at this point, you know, because everybody yeah. might be more of the same. But we've got such such variety. It's such an awesome moment to think about that. No, I, I totally agree, man. Um, cool. So, so we're going to do a little uh, what makes us mad and happy this week or what? Yeah, we have to. Okay, what makes you mad this week? Um, wow, 
That's a good question. Can I say what makes me happy first? You always start to talk about happiness first. (laughs) Go ahead. All right. So um, I'm writing um, a children's story, or I wrote a children's story, Aaron, and um, I'm going to get an illustrator for it. Um, Nice. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's about a little star who gets covered in space junk. Um, and she eventually makes her way out of it and starts to create things with them and gives those things to the other stars. That's awesome. Yeah. So that makes me happy. I'm happy to be working on that project. That's so cool. I, um, we'll talk about what makes me mad because that's what I feel more frequently, I think. (laughs) Um, but here's what makes, it makes me mad that people don't reply to texts. Right. Okay. Or like messages or emails or whatever. Like, I just don't get it. Like, what's going on that people can't even write back and say like, hey, sorry, I'm in the bathroom or whatever. Like, it doesn't matter so much when I text people funny stuff or like, you know, Bozeman sends me a funny YouTube link or something like that's different. But when it's like about a gig, like I'm we're doing some musicals right now coming up here in town. And trying to hire people and say, like, hey, would you like a gig where I'm going to pay you? And then people can't reply to that? I don't get that. Like, right. you want to you work? Like, you want to have money? You probably should reply to these texts. It just doesn't make sense. And emails, you know, like, uh, we're doing, getting our taxes done. And, the tax, like, the tax person, like, you know, waits a little while. Like, I, come on. Like, I need to know if my taxes are going to be cool or not. That's an important right. thing. And my tax person's wonderful, but just as an example, it's like, come on, dude. Yeah, no, that's a good one for me, too. Actually, taxes are not making me happy right now. Oh, right? that yours must be really hard, right? You have so much it's, independent stuff. Yeah, it's super hard, man. Um, just to keep track of everything. And, you know, yeah, it's it's a pain. Hey, man, um, so did you watch Pacquiao this weekend? I did. I watched Pacquiao this weekend. I thought he Impressed. looked great. He looked great. Yeah. He can't retire, man. Right. I don't think he will. I think he's got, he's got one or two more in him. Bradley was confused. <laughs> Very confused. Especially at the end of the fight where he was like, I don't remember getting knocked down. <laughs> <laughs> at least he wore socks this time, unlike Mike Tyson. <laughs> right. That's true. Um, So we might, you know, I think one thing we can do too is at the end of the podcast, which I think we're basically up to here, is uh, that we could plug things like, you know, that way all the fans can know uh, what's happening with us. So like if you have any upcoming sweet gigs or anything like that. I just had my last rehearsal with Tom Burrett. We're playing a concert together um, down south here in Texas for a day of percussion and we're doing a clinic together. So, um, we're teaching a little bit, but also playing some music. So we're playing, uh, my tunes into the air and wildlings. Yeah. So that's been a lot of fun to connect with Tom because we both live here in Austin, but, um, you know, he went to my high school. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah. Several years before I did, but yeah. In he's Buffalo. A Orch- Orchard Park high school alumni. That's amazing. I'll ask him yeah. about that. That's awesome. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. Actually. It's good. What good are you up to, man? The thing, the thing that I would, would plug is that I have finished now my three-movement uh, vibraphone and tape piece. We talked about it a little bit on the last podcast when we talked about Aaron Butler because um, he, like, sort of started it. But uh, right. it's three movements now. It's called Three Memories for Vibraphone and Tape. And uh, 
There's one called Losing Touch. There's one called Forced Perspective. And then the third movement is called Almost. And each one, hmm. ha- they're pretty easy, like two mallet vibraphone things. And then the voice, uh, you record yourself, or I guess someone else if you want, talking about different stuff that you remember from your past. So it's um, kind of a little bit inspired by the piece you did for uh, Chris Jones and his, his AB duo, a little bit, um, right. where you're st- that talks about memory too, and a little bit inspired by um, the thing that Matt Evans and Peter Ferry did a, a couple years back about nostalgia. Um, I, I remember that both of those things really are, are cool to me. And just thinking about the past is, it was basically what we did for this whole hour. Um, <laughs> right. you know, and so I think that that's, hopefully some people are going to enjoy playing those and you can get them, uh, from my website, aaronstabell.com slash compositions. Um, so hopefully, you know, we'll hear some performances of those. I know John Smigelski, who's a, a student in Buffalo, he's going to play at least one of them, I think, on a recital on April 30th, if not all three. So that might, that's great. That might be like the official premiere. So that's pretty cool. And I know uh, one of my former students at Baylor, Alexa Sanchez, um, picked up a copy great. of, I think it was uh, Losing Touch, yeah, and she one. was working on, on that. So I'll see her in a couple weeks and ask her awesome. when she's planning on programming. Awesome. All right, so the next time we talk, we'll uh, probably be getting ready to talk about at least a little bit about May and PA, our day of percussion that we do down in Harrisburg. That's coming up quick. Yeah. And uh, probably the Canelo Con fight, too. We'll see. Perfect. What coffee are you drinking, Aaron, by the way? Dude, today I embarrassed myself slightly and just made a little uh, Cafe Bustelo. Uh, so nothing too fancy, just the good old uh, Cafe Bustelo. But it's, for some reason, really good, um, this thing that I use at school to make my coffee, the AeroPress, um, it just does a really nice cup of it, so I'm not, nothing too fancy, but it just tastes great right now. Nice, man. What about you? I'm doing counterculture sea change, it's called, um, and I'm doing that in the Chemex, which is really great. Sounds good. All right, brother. Well, until next time, let's, uh, see you then, all right? All right. Great catching up, man. Talk to you later. See you, dude.